You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games. As long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hi everybody, I'm Luke Hector, this is the Broken Meeple Show, the 12th of, no, sorry, the 10th of December, get your dates the right way around, <laughs> yeah, 10th of December 23, and this will be the last episode I do before the new year, because two weeks time from now is literally going to be on Christmas, so uh, no, I will not record an episode on Christmas Eve, or whatever date that will be, it's like, no, that's not going to happen, so two weeks after that will be what, 31st and 7th, so yeah, early January I will be back with the show as per normal but obviously with some more other things to focus on with the youtube channel more on that in a minute uh generally still fine the throat's still obviously a thing but this uh shotgun acid reflux diet that i'm on at the moment which has made me uh do several things with regards to my food intake is certainly helping i think my voice is still you know, a little bit sore it's still hard to sort of talk for too long but i have at least felt like I haven't had any acid reflux issues in the last, say, couple of weeks since it started. I mean, when did I start it? Probably about the 21st odd of November, around that week. So, yeah, it's been like two and a half weeks, and so far, so good. But until we get to after Christmas, I won't know if my throat is actually healing or whether more needs to be done. I don't know, because I was kind of expecting the throat to heal a bit more by now. But maybe it takes longer, I don't know. But uh, we'll just have to see. But I mean, I have got a wedge pillow on my bed for sleeping upright. I have quit caffeine. I haven't had a drop of caffeine in a good two and a half, two bit weeks, you know, so caffeine withdrawals and all that, but uh, that's all done. So I haven't touched a single caffeinated drink. It's always decaf coffees and uh, herbal teas now and decaf greens, so always decaf. I've switched to plant-based milk, so no lactose. Um, I mean, I still have yogurt every now and again. You know, low fat, it's got to be low fat, but low fat natural yogurt is fine. But apart from that, pretty much all my lactose intake is gone. Um, I, you know, I didn't have that much milk before, except on cereal, I guess. But now I've got almonds, coconuts, oats, soy, you name it, it's all in the fridge. So, you know, I felt like such a hipster the other day when I wandered into my game cafe and ordered you know normally i always have a full cappuccino full milk every time i go into my monday game club cafe it's like the first drink i want after a day at work i went in the other day and ordered a decaf cappuccino with soy milk and i felt like such a london hipster i was like oh god it's come to this now <laughs> it's like it's come to this and i thought do i need like you know you know we're sort of dungaree things with suspenders and stuff like that you know do i need to dress up like that now i was like hopefully not but yeah, it just felt so weird. But uh, I've had to cut tomato. Tomato is a very acidic food. Uh, so I haven't had any curries for a while, which makes me sad. I really love curries. But yeah, apart from a little dollop of ketchup every now and again on eggs on toast, that's pretty much the only tomato intake I've had. I'm drinking cucumber water. Like I'm using my, uh, I've got one of those infuser bottles where you, you put the fruit or veg in and then you pour the water within it and it infuses it. And it's a very nice drink. I'm now pretty much drinking cucumber water every day because it's it's nice and refreshing, honestly. Oh, God, yeah, loads of other things. No spicy food. 
it's just it's a bit of a mammoth change really to go low acid diets but we'll see if it helps i mean i have no idea what individual foods trigger me more than others uh it could even just be high carbs i don't know but until i heal my throat i won't be in a position to then whittle stuff back in and find out what it is that's actually doing it um i mean i've even had to add gaviscon to my sort of daily routine and double the dose of my omeprazole so uh, lots of stuff with there but so far so good i think after christmas by the time the next episode goes i should have more of an idea as to whether it's working or whether more still needs to be done i don't know what else i can do on top of this frankly but uh, we'll just have to wait and see uh the the channel, the channel has gone pretty well lately. Uh, the recent review for uh, Deep Rock Galactic with the very bad Photoshop thing of me sticking a driller's helmet goggles over my eyeballs. You know, that's a <laughs> sort of weird thumbnail. But, you know, that review has gone up. So all of you that were complaining about, oh, no, you're always being so negative. Oh, so many negative reviews. Well, go watch the Deep Rock Galactic review and you'll get a positive one now. But, you know, 21656 subscribers get climbing 196 in the last 28 days. Not bad at all. I know some people do it better, but, you know, slowly but surely. But definitely noticed quite a lot of engagement on the last few videos, particularly the ones that have been a bit more uh, negative, shall we say. And I know this is a thing. Um, say, Paul uh, Grogan makes a big deal of this a lot when we chat. You know, the whole thing of, like, you know, it's like, it's like how do you not like this game? Da, 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 da. But, uh, well, it's, it's, it's negative, therefore it's more engagement and more views or something, which is a get-out-of-jail-free card. I think he's running out of uses of at this point. Because, yeah, it is an evident thing that negative stuff or contrary opinions always get more views and engagement than positive stuff unfortunately that's just the way of the world you know you know everybody is kind of bored with the whole everything is awesome everything is cool when you're part you know that kind of thing when it comes to games and i'm bored of it you know the chat if i see a channel that does nothing but positive scores for everything i'm just bored to watch it because I literally can just skip to the end and just go, oh, you like it, seven and eight, yeah, the eight, nine, eight, seven, eight, nine, nine, eight, eight, ten, eight, eight, seven, so, you know, and it's just, why am I watching the video if I know you're just going to love it to death, you know, so it doesn't, I don't like it when channels do that. Now, I'm not saying people have got to rate negative games just for the sake of it. No, you've got to be honest with your views, as I try to be. And, you know, but don't be afraid to give a negative opinion. Don't be afraid to give a contrary opinion to something. If it's your opinion, then fine. It doesn't mean I have to agree with it. <laughs> so, you know, people who watch my stuff, they half of them will agree with my views, half of them won't. And fine, just be civil about it and don't be a jerk and that's all that needs to be happening. You know, I'm not... You know, I am giving my honest critic opinion of a game. If I didn't like it, I didn't like it. Deal with it. You know, it's not like I've insulted your baby child or something. Um, but yeah, the last few have certainly been more on the negative front. I mean, going from the last podcast, we were Age of Innovation. Not a negative review, just not an overly glowing one. Series from Artipia, probably one of the better games I've played in the last batch. Uh, minus Deep Rock Galactic, which was better. Um, uh, evacuation. Found it average. I've had problems with it. Uh, Ticket to Ride Legacy. I've done the spoiler views and that. And I'm kind of disappointed at this one because, I mean, it's starting to get some views now. It's starting to get some traction, but it took a while. And I would have thought people would have been like frothing at the mouth to find out about Ticket to Ride Legacy. But uh, who knows? And obviously less for the spoiler discussion because people won't have played it and don't want to be spoiled. Apiary. Yep. The uh, Stonemire one that's been getting loads of, uh, dare I say it, buzz. 
you know, that's starting to pick up a bit more traction now. It started off a bit slow, but uh, I'm noticing quite a fair few views on that. So thank you, everybody who's watched that. And yes, I've got contrary opinions on that one. So yeah, there's quite a few disappointments that have come across my table in the last week. And it's just timing. I mean, the previous week, what the previous time, what did I have it there? Earthborn Rangers, Redwood and Imperial Miners and Archaeologic. And the worst of those was probably Imperial Miners. And even then, that was above average. It was fine. Um, the rest of them I, I quite liked, particularly Redwood and Earthborn Rangers. So, yeah, the, there were been positive ones. It's just the fact that lately I've managed to get round to Apiary and Evacuation and they just an Age of Innovation, which are biggish games. I mean, come on, I had to binge Ticket to Ride Legacy over four nights with three friends at the club to literally get through 12 games in the space of four nights to review it. I mean, it took a took us a, took us out of it a bit. And so naturally, we got through. I collated all four of our thoughts because even at the end of the review, I give their ratings as well as mine, of which I'm the lowest of the four of us, but one person was only just above me. Like, I... You know, what did I give it? A f I think I gave it a four or something like that, and I was contemplating a five. Someone else gave it a five. Uh, another person gave it a six, and uh, another person gave it an eight. So only one person gave it even remotely a seal of endorsement level rating. So I wouldn't exactly say it was a personal opinion. It was kind of a shared opinion amongst most of the group. Um, kind of amusing that the person who liked it the most was also the one who came... Oh no, oh no, he didn't come last. He came last in a lot of individual games, but he didn't come last overall. Must have done more on the uh, legacy stuff. But by all means, check out these videos, see my opinions, and just learn to respect each other's opinions. I mean, it's not hard to ask, but uh, human race and all that. But there's some, you know... Oh, what's the next review I've got to do? Uh, there's a couple more coming out. White Castle and Virtual Revolution is uh, due. Uh, White Castle should be out probably tomorrow, might release it tomorrow, and uh, Virtual Re Revolution at some point this week, so those two should be done. And also, I have done a video for the best and worst of November, except it's a kind of special one. So, I haven't done best and worst of November, I have effectively done best and worst of November slash December slash Essen remaining. It's kind of a big compilation video. So it covers a bit of November. It covers a bit of December because I'm not going to play any new games over Christmas. So what's the point in doing a best and worst of November, um, December, especially when I've reviewed most of the new stuff. So, but I also had a bunch of stuff from Essen that was like too small to do a review on or just not enough time. So I figured, you know what, let's just cover it all in one big video of mini reviews. So that will come out at some point before Christmas and obviously I need to do two videos in particular I need to do the top 10 of 23 uh, I notice a lot of channels are already sticking their top 10s of 23 it's a bit early I mean it's the 10th of December you can get a lot of games played between now and Christmas so that will happen I just don't know when um, before Christmas but yeah in the next couple of weeks you will get my top 10 of the year and uh, it's harder to make this top 10 than it was last year's top 10. So 2023, I think, has been a general improvement in the industry, game-wise. But despite the ones that I've done that are fairly negative lately, there have been some decent enough games to talk about. And also, I still want to do this top 10 with Hilmar, um, the top 10 big box games. We're just trying to sort out how to do big box games, because... You know, he sent me a list recently, and part of it was big box specific big box games, like, you know, Carcassonne, big box, you know, Quacks of Quedlinburg, big box, those sort of things. And another one was just games that come in a big box. And if I tried to do the first of those, I think I'd have a limited list because most of the big box stuff I'm not a fan of. Um, you know, check out my Wingspan big box one for that, you know, for an example. 
So I'd have to do big boxes, like normal big boxes, which is kind of what I wanted to do. But then how big a box? You know, this is the standard size for a game series here. This is the Ticket to Ride size box. So is big and Pursuit of Happiness doesn't count because that's a big box storage solution because it has a ton of expansions in it. Normal Pursuit of Happiness does not come in a big box. I've chosen to turn it into that. Now, Deep Rock Galactic's a big box. I think even if you didn't have the miniatures, it'd be a pretty sizable box. Um, but I've got the miniatures, so it is quite a giant box. That could count. But does Star Wars Rebellion and uh, Forbidden Stars over there, are they big boxes? They're bigger than the average box, but are they big, big? I don't know. Where to stick the, de the definition of big is the problem I'm having at the moment. But hopefully, if he's got time, I have dragged this on a bit. I would like to be able to do that live before Christmas, so we shall see. Worst case scenario, we'll do it early in January, but it's going to happen. And of course, with the channel in general in January there is going to be a more focus on top 10s because, you know, I know that I've done so many reviews lately, but I think this is just something I think people are just going to have to get used to with the channel because the problem with the board game industry is that it's very seasonal. So we have nothing happen for the first six months of the year. Then Gen Con happens, right? And then a load of games try to come out for Gen Con. Not too many, but ton, a fair few. And then Essen comes out and then Every game tries to get released for Essen, like tons. And because you've got to do a top 10 a year, you've got to review them before Christmas. So it gives us a free month, well, not even a yeah, free month window at best to get those ones reviewed. So that's why the, my channel has been mostly focused on that to the expense of other types of content I like to do. So I think that's just something you're going to have to deal with. I think the show is just going to have to be review focused when it gets to October, November, and December because that's just the nature of the beast. But when we come back in January for 24, obviously most games have been reviewed now and very little gets re re um, released in the first three months of the year particularly, but even the first six months of the year. I mean, you get a couple at UK Games Expo and that's about it, but most of the time you don't get very much at all in terms of new hot releases in the early part of the year. So that means reviews are going to be a lot more limited now. Um, or they might be older games, but they'll be more ad hoc. So then the uh, shelf rating videos that I've been doing, the ones that you've liked and that I enjoy doing, rate my shelf, they will continue. I will focus a lot more on top tens and you know get those cracking, including live collaborations. So naturally, a lot more of that type of content will come out in the first half of the year. And the top 100, my updated top 100, needs to start in January, February time while it's quiet. And so that will be good because I think it's been 14 months since I did the last one because I didn't do one this year. But I did one last year around September, October time. So although technically I made the list in August. So yeah, we're good talking a good 14, 15 months since I last did the list. So I'm hoping there'll be some good changeover. But, you know, that sort of content you've got to look forward to in early 24 with very few reviews and throughout the middle of the year it'll be kind of a mixed bag but yeah I, th I think that's just how it's gonna be I can't I can't kid myself thinking I can do all my types of content in the last three months of the year because it's just not physically possible I mean I nearly hit burnout just trying to do Essen this year it was quite a lot and but thankfully I've managed to uh, catch up with it so, you know, bearing in mind, my stuff takes a lot longer to edit than some channels stuff does. You know, I'm not just talking at the camera. I'm doing other things with my videos. And so that takes time. But 
it's still good fun and it's how i like to do it so yeah that's just kind of the, the thing so more to look for and i promise our patrons i will try to do more on that as well because i know i haven't really posted a lot on the patreon channel much lately which is a shame i mean thank you for supporting the channel still despite that you know i do owe you guys for that because uh you know this channel doesn't function without a patreon but I will try to get you more involved in some stuff. I mean, I'll try and do a Q&A in January. So I'll get you, you know, people can ask me questions there. Um, I will, I, I, I am running out of podcast topics. So I'm going to need to ask the Patreons to help me out with that. And obviously, uh, because I'll be doing more top tens, I will come up with some ideas. I will get the Patreons to vote on that as well. So yeah, I'm going to try and improve that for 2024. I think it's slacked a bit the last few months because of all the Essence stuff. And, you know, I apologize for that. So let's get on with some actual content, shall we? So let's talk about a couple of games recently that I've been playing, uh, just for standard stuff. Uh, doo -doo -doo. First one, Ashes, Reborn, Reborn, Rise of the Phoenix, Born, 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 Born Jason, Born. I don't know. It's uh, there's a lot of like <laughs> the fact that it's called Ashes Reborn Rise of the Phoenix Born is just kind of weird for me. But this is a re-implementation of the original Ashes Phoenix Born uh, that came out a few years ago. I played it, thought it looked beautiful in terms of its artwork. I mean, it is some of the best artwork I've seen in the game. But the game was okay. It wasn't... I didn't love it to bits. And it was also one of those games that you kind of had to play multiplayer... And unless you knew somebody who knew how to play it, you were kind of at an advantage where you'd have to teach a lot for the game. So, and it was two-player only, which, well, I don't know if the original was. Was the original two-player only, or was it two to four players all the time? I can't remember. I get the feeling, though, that two, um, oh, was it? Yeah, two players would have been too, um, well, sorry, four players would have been too much. Like, it would have been a little bit crazy. But the reason I've got this again is because it's on my table right now. It's because of something called Red Reigns. So Red Reigns, I was told about on one of Paul Grogan's videos. It's the solo version of the game. Now, I enjoyed the mechanics of the game enough, but I figured, you know what? I got a bit of spare cash. Let's, you know, try out Ashes Reborn and try out with the solo expansion. So I have got the first two solo expansions for this, Corpse of Viros and Frost Scourge, and I'm attempting to play them and learn them as I go along. So far, so good good it is a decent enough solo mode and i get to try out lots of different decks against it you know different play styles and that so that would be quite cool but oh my god plaid hat can you sort out your rule books your rule books suck for your games as a continuing thing and unfortunately ashes reborn is no exception i mean the normal rule book for the game is not too bad but the red rains one stuff is out of order it's out of sync there's very few pictorial examples in the book key rules are not mentioned like what do you actually do with the rage dice at the end of a round is not mentioned do i take them off the board do i re-roll them what it doesn't say you know the actual mechanic of what the rage dice do in this game is apparently in the glossary not in the main rule book it's just it's such a terrible rule book that it's making it difficult for me to get this played properly and it really is kind of annoying but the mechanics are decent enough essentially you fight a boss it has its own deck of aspects which are basically like limbs and various things it does and the idea is is that they are effectively the units even though it doesn't change the terminology from pvp to pve very well 
And essentially, uh, the boss has got several levels of how you can play it. You can play it one player or two player co op. Uh, these aspects will come out of the deck and they represent like units and stuff. You roll a d12, it dictates the behavior of the boss. So it might attack you, it might just reveal more aspects, it might re-roll its dice, that kind of thing. And other than that, you play the same game as you were before, except you've got to take down the boss while it's also taking down you. Now, it's not the most complicated AI in the world, honestly. And I like the fact that they had a rule book for if you know you're familiar with the game, use this rule book. And if you're completely new to the game, use this rule book. If only they knew how to write them better, then maybe that would actually be a positive thing. But, you know, the, the game itself is good fun. But the fact that I've got to mess around so much with this wretched rule book is such a pain. And it's really detracting from the enjoyment. Now, I need to try it more. I need to try it with the Frost one, see if it's easier to use that. Try it with other characters. But yeah, so far, I'm liking it. But enough to justify the fact that I spent money to get the game as well as the expansions. I don't know. This could be one of those ones where I try out and go, no, that's fine, and then sell it on again. But at least I would have tried it. Oh, honey and ginger. Nice. But yeah, it's, it's just kind of like, hmm, I don't know, really. But I like it enough. It's quite tough. Yeah, the thing does blat you like sideways, up and down, and all that gubbins. But and I don't know why I would want to play on some of these harder difficulties. Because, I mean, it was hard enough on level one. But, uh, you know, got through it in my first game. But yeah, we'll just have to see how it goes. I mean, if I can find like a BGG reference where the rules are done better, that kind of thing, then maybe that will help. But this one's just going to take a few more plays to solidify my thoughts on that. But I'm just glad that I can play the game solo for now. Because the game is decent enough mechanics-wise. It's got good variety, and I love the artwork on the Ashes characters. They're so good. And it's certainly got a lot of thinkiness and meat to it, even though the card pool is a little limited. But, like I say, hopefully can get past this rulebook issue and try out more of it. Right, okay. And the next one I want to talk about is Siberion. Not doing a review for this one. It's a too small a game. Nobody would care. Uh, but this one I'll talk about now. I have played a few games of Siberion. This is the new Sh Shady Torbay uh, Omniverse game, now under his own publishing wing of Impatience, as it's called, not Seaman Games. I have got several on the shelf already. I've got an, an Irem, uh, Sylveon... Arion and I swear there was another. Hang on, let me just check. No, that's it, yeah. Anirim, Sylveon, Arion, and now Siberion. Alright, yeah, I kept four. I didn't like Nortilian. I hated the what's the one where you roll a die, roll and move and move the submarine thing or something? Is that Nortilian or something else? I don't know, but I hated that one. Uh other ones um were okay, but those are the four I've stuck with, including Siberia because this one I actually quite enjoyed essentially the themes never matter but you're basically uh you've got robots and machines and the idea is is that you've got to repair a bunch of the machines um from the decks before the game ends so you've got two goes through your deck before you uh run out of stuff to do you have effectively kind of like a sort of like a self-timer you've got to be able to keep going without making too many mistakes like every turn you must repair at least one machine otherwise you have to give in a failsafe token and you only have one of these to normally but you can earn more as the game goes on and you can only go twice for your deck so once you've gone twice for your deck you're limited to what cards you've got left so there is a bit of a running timer 
But the idea is, is that these machines have different requirements. So some require multiples of the same type of robot. Some require multiple different levels of robot. You know, they've got two different tricks to them. But the thing I really enjoy with this game is that you've got essentially a couple of things you can do with these robots. Firstly, yes, you can use them to do machines. But there's a little bit more meat to it than that. What you can do is that these robots have special abilities. So can I find the board that's useful for it. Uh, can I get close up to that board? Uh, close up to the robots though. The robots have a special ability which is the, the icon on the left. So the blue robots basically move stuff down into storage so you can store them for later turns. Uh, this yellow robot puts a bunch above your original tableau in a flash row, which is basically you get a bunch of cards now, but they're going to go away, so you need to use them now. Uh, you can get stuff back from the discard pile with the purple robots. You can look ahead to see what's coming up out of your deck with the green robots. And, you know, it's got that same sort of cutesy artwork that the Omniverse games had, take it or leave it. It's nice and cutesy, but yeah, I'm not going to say it's stellar artwork. It's just it fits the it fits the system, so fine. I haven't tried any of the mini expansions in it yet. I have played it just on its normal setting to get used to the game. But the idea is, is that if you use the special ability, you've got to get rid of the robot. So you're discarding robots to use the abilities, but you obviously need the robots to fix the machine. So you've got to strike a good balance with it. And these abilities will level up as the game goes on. Because this track here represents that once you've fixed a bunch of machines, it's kind of like experience points. And you discard the machines to level up on these tracks, which represent the abilities of the robots. So if you don't level it up at all, they don't have an ability. They're just blank. But when you level them up, they have their ability and it just gets better and better and the more you level it up. So do you go at a consistent rate for all of them so that they don't have ultra powerful abilities, but they've all got something useful? Or do you munchkin one ability all the way to the end at the expense of others to have a really powerful ability, but then other cards are kind of dead draws? So, you know, there's a cool like sort of mix of this and i enjoyed it it's quite a simple rule set you know simpler than some of the other ones i think and you know other than sort of you gotta get your head around some of the abilities but the iconography is pretty good and you know what you do in each turn is pretty straightforward now like i say i've not tried the mini expansions i tend to try those very late in the game because i just like playing the normal version but yeah this one is solid I, I enjoy this one. I like the fact that I can choose what I want to do with these abilities. I like the fact that there's the five different robot types. And, you know, the games... It doesn't feel quite as punishing as something like a Nyrim does. Uh, I mean, this one, you know, luck of the draw can sometimes hose you in a bit of time. But you've got a little bit of mitigation of what you can do. Uh, a bit like how Aerion has a bit of mitigation of what you can do when you're rolling dice. More so than something like, say, Onirim. But, yeah, I enjoyed this one i mean uh, the last the last couple from shady torbay have not impressed me as much i mean the uh, arion i think was the last one that i kept out of all that's been released but i quite liked siberian um i recommend giving it a shot if you like a good solo game i recommend giving it a shot if you're a fan of this series um you know if you think that oh maybe he's running out of ideas i think this is a pretty decent one in the list and they say it's on my shelf so it's definitely in my four favorites um omniverse games you know i think it was just a cool rule set i like what you can do with the robots and i like that your pass and strategies can differ each game purely just depending on what you fancy doing really i mean you can decide one game i'm going to focus on one particular robot fair enough go for it see what happens you know and it sometimes you've got to think about well how many robots have i been discarding lately i've discarded quite a lot of blue so maybe i don't want to focus too much on the blue ability because i'm not going to see it that much for the rest of the game i haven't seen many yellows turn up though you know what there's a bunch of yellow abilities so that they're all good it's stuff like that is just a pretty good 
you know, system to do. And uh, I've enjoyed it. I mean, what would I give it? I'd probably give it at least an 8. I think at least an 8 out of 10. I think this is a very solid solo game. And definitely give it a shot. Right. Let's talk about the topic of the day because I'm only going to be able to talk for so long with my throat. And no, my topic is not about Christmas because I just don't go for this whole, um, call me a humbug, Christmas does not really do it for me. You know, Christmas is a nice time when I can go home and see my parents and some of my family, have a massive roast dinner, watch the Doctor Who Christmas special each year if it's on, and that's kind of it. But I can only stay home for so long because there's only so much to do at home. You know, I can only play the same gateway level board games for so long and do crossword puzzles and stuff. But it is lovely to see the parents and, and you know, they're getting older, cherish as many time you have with them. But the thing is, it's the same when I go home for any weekend. So Christmas doesn't change anything apart from just doubling the size of the roast dinner. <laughs> because if I go home to visit the parents, I do the same stuff. So Christmas doesn't seem any different from the rest. But I also just don't get into the whole commerciality of Christmas. I mean, sticking decorations up. I mean, everybody else's house has got stuff outside, or at least a decent amount of them. And I've got Jack. People ask me, oh, where'd your tree going up, Luke? And it's like, why would I put a Christmas tree up in my house? A, where would I put it? Because <laughs> I've got games or boxes or stuff like that everywhere. And failing that, why would I put up a tree just for myself? I mean, occasionally people visit, but, and I do mean occasionally, it's not that often, you know, most of the time I go out to see others, you know, occasionally people come over here, because Waterlooville's, you know, people have to drive, <laughs> you know, and I just drive anyway, but still, why would I just put up a tree for myself, it's pointless, so, you know, call me a humbug if you like, and oh yeah, I hate Christmas crackers, god, I hate Christmas crackers, um, but yeah, that's, I mean, you're talking about saving the planet eco-wise, and then people pull these stupid crackers with stupid little gifts that nobody wants from within them, and those little paper hats, and it's just like, okay, sort of double-edged sword here, but yeah, I don't know, <laughs> me and a humbug and all that, but I, I'm looking forward to seeing the parents anyway, so that's all going to be fun, I just don't go Christmassy, so Christmas-themed games I don't get into, and frankly, there aren't even that many you know, I can't think of that many Christmas, proper Christmas-themed games. Yeah, there's plenty of games that have snow in it. I mean, yeah, okay, there's a little card game I've been playing recently called Christmas Tree. Okay, fine. But then that's just an abstracted card game with pictures. It's not exactly a Christmassy game. And, you know, okay, Ticket to Ride Nordic Countries. Well, yeah, it's not a Christmas game, but it has snow in it. You know, is Die Hard, the board game, going to be a Christmas game just because of the movie? And um, Frostpunk, is Frostpunk a Christmas game because it's all snowy and wintry, despite the fact that it's all about death and depression? <laughs> it's like, come on, uh, it just seems a little bit of a list I just don't care about doing. And I could have done Outlook for the whole year, but uh, I don't know, there's not a huge amount to talk about this year. Because as much as it has been a better year overall, it's not been the most eventful year, I don't think, when it comes to board games. It's kind of like everybody's going through the motions and doing what they did before. So I'm just going to do a different topic, and I figured I would link it to what I did recently with Deep Rock Galactic, because Deep Rock Galactic, I gave a positive review, slight spoiler alert, but by all means, check out the video, because it is it took a while to edit that one. But I want to get on this idea of video game licensed games, because I play PC games. I don't. I only have a Switch, and I don't play that very often, apart from the big Zelda or Mario title. So, you know, that barely gets used. I don't have a PlayStation, and I don't have an Xbox. And the heavens have just opened outside, apparently. But the, you know, so most of my gaming is on the PC. But I like PC games. 
And I, you know, I like a good shoot 'em up. I like a good pick up and play style game like Deep Rock Galactic. I don't tend to like RTS games apart from Dawn of War. And now it's like the original Dawn of War. Still got it on my Steam. Um, I play board game arena and tabletop simulator stuff. Uh, I like survival games. So uh, friends and I play Valheim on a regular basis on Sunday evenings. You know, that's all good fun just to hang out with your mates and do stuff. I've played other bits and bobs. And, you know, I play some of the board game ports on uh, Steam as well. So, you know, I like a good PC game when it comes out. But what I tend to do is buy it cheap. I mean, I have not played Baldur's Gate 3. I would love to because I love Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. But I'm not paying £60 for a game. I'm sorry. It's just not happening. So I wait for it to get cheap or much cheaper. So I might not play Baldur's Gate 3 until like two years later or something after it comes out. Purely just because I'm not paying £60 for a game. Um, I mean, granted, I paid a decent amount for the Zelda um, Windwalker or whatever it was called, the Tears of the Kingdom, but the amount of hours I sunk into that game, and I really munchkin that at the expense of other stuff, um, yeah, I was a... That got me money's worth, but still, part of me now wants to sell the game because I got the disc edition, not the digital one, and, well, it cost me a lot of money to get it, but... Time is such a precious resource at the moment. I don't want to spend £60 on a PC game not knowing if I'm going to spend the time playing it. So there is always that problem. But when it comes to board games and video games, I do like to see them ported over because they usually, well, they have a bit of a checkered track history, but when they're done well, they're really good fun. And a lot of that is down to the IP and the, the theme. Because if you're going to do a good port of a a game you need to get the theme sound you need to get the theme right and if you do so it means i'm going to be more immersed in the game i'm going to make references to the game itself if i've played it and it's just going to make it pop on the table look good and be more enjoyable to play now some games are good at doing this some games are not i just want to sort of run through a few of the examples of good and bad that i have come across but you know, while kind of explaining what I kind of want from a video game, a licensed board game. So, you know, you need to have the basic essentials like good gameplay, you know, mechanics that work. But I can be a little forgiving of some of those bits if the theme is done justice and like really thematic. Deep Rock Galactic has a couple of issues with, you know, the rulebook and the FAQ list for it. It's not particularly bad. You can still play the game pretty easily, but you will have some FAQ moments. Um, they are doing a 2.0 edition of the rulebook with the new campaign, so that'll fix that issue. But yeah, it's not pitch perfect, the game. You know, it does have that issue. But the thing is, because the rest of it is so good, I can not necessarily forgive it for those, but they don't outweigh them. The pros outweigh the cons. It's the same with Ark Nova. Loads of people keep trying to disrepute my love for Ark Nova, and it's kind of annoying because I love Ark Nova. It's still one of my all-time favorite Euro games, okay? I played it last night, in fact. In fact, I've played it last couple of nights on Board Game Arena, and... You know, I won both games, although last night's was close. God, blimey, I was scared for that one. But the the fact is, I love the game. I love the theme with it. I love the card mechanics. I love the action row. I love the variety and strategies and the variety of cards, especially with Marine World. Oh, God, I've got to do that review, haven't I? Yeah, I've got to do the Marine World's Ark Nova Beyond the Base Game video. Do I do that before Christmas or do I do that after? We'll have to see. It depends how desperate people are for that one. But, yes, I will do one. 
But yeah, I love the game. And whenever I mention flaws in other games, people like to go, right, well, you got this in Ark Nova. Why do you have, why do you forgive that one? I don't forgive it in Ark Nova. It's just that the pros outweigh the cons enough. You know, Ark Nova does have a flaw with its game length being quite long, particularly with four players. Yes, there is a degree of luck of the draw in Ark Nova. However, I would argue that given that my win ratio for that game is quite high, it's not all down to luck. I am one of the unluckiest people in the world, for crying out loud, you know, when it comes to just general stuff. So, yeah, it's not a luck thing. You know, the more experienced person will win Ark Nova, end of story. But, yes, there is a bit of card draw luck in the game. But the fact that it's a tactical game makes up for a lot of it. You know, you can try and fix yourself in one particular strategy the whole game but you need to be flexible you need to treat it as a lot of short-term goals like what's my initial goal do this right i need to do this this and this right achieved goal next goal this one right i need to do this this and this right if you just go if you start the whole game going i'm going to do nothing but reptiles then well you're asking to get screwed if reptiles don't turn up you need to be flexible but i don't say that they're not flaws of the game i just love everything else about it so much now with games that i've reviewed negatively lately that have those same flaws those games can have those problems but then they have other problems or the stuff that's good doesn't outweigh them you know that a bad game the flaws will stand out more than in a good game it's like when you watch a, a movie at the cinema and you go oh that was a really fun movie really good oh, that was a little bit off but you know what fine that's the thing but when you watch a bad movie all that stuff stands out more and nothing makes up for it. So it's that same kind of deal. But I digress. So Deep Rock Galactic, I'm not going to go into too much detail here because I've already done a review of it. But yeah, this one really does justice with the theme. I mean, you have got the gorgeous miniatures that are in it. If you buy the deluxe version, you've got, you know, the, the same art. You've got the imagery. You've got the gameplay feel, the co-op nature. Every uh, dwarf you use has the same abilities from the game. They represent zip lines and the platform gun and the sentry gun and that, all the same. It's just a really, really good, solid system with the art and the theme to go with it. It's done the theme justice, which is why I enjoy this one quite a bit. Uh, but then, you know, you can have games that are good, but then you wouldn't know it was a board game port if you did it. Like, for example, Anno 1800. I like Anno 1800. It is surprisingly the only Martin Wallace game that I actually do like. <laughs> Take a swig. Uh, yeah, Anno 1800 is not a game... Sorry, Martin Wallace is not a designer whose games I tend to go for. They tend to be very dry, pretty drab, and in some cases quite punishing. I mean, cool, the last... Like I say, you got... What was it? Brass and Age of Steam and all that lot. So it's like... You know, I don't tend to go for a lot of his games. Anno 1800 is actually one that I surprisingly like, to the point where I even bought it. It's on the table opposite opposite me, uh, because I want to try out the solo mode in it, the unofficial one, and uh, whatever it is on BGG, I need to print it out. But yeah, you know, £15 at a bring and buy, all complete, with laminated player aids in it. You know, it's like, great price. But I enjoy the game. It's I like the mechanics in it. Do I care much about the theme? No. But I like the mechanics of it. It's more about the technologies of the stuff you're inventing rather than just mining coal and iron, you know, boring stuff like that. But, you know, this one is based off a, a PC game. You know, it's Ubisoft. You know, there is a game called Anno 1800. But I've no interest in playing a PC game version of this. I mean, the theme's not one that gravitates to me. And if you had, 
if I played this and you hadn't told me there was a PC game of it, I wouldn't have even known there was a PC game of it. Because it's, you know, the, the game doesn't have a great deal of theme in it, frankly. I mean, X turns into Y, which you then turn into C. Okay, there's a little bit of links there. But other than that, we've seen the setting and theme done so often that it you would just gloss right past it. So, yeah, yeah, it is a good game. Is it a good version of the PC game? I don't know. I've not played it, but I've I haven't got much interest in playing the PC game because the theme is not exactly that interesting to begin with. So this one literally could have just been any Euro setting and it would have still worked. You can't use a different thing with Deep Rock Galactic. You had to use the IP for that one. All right, what else have we got? Uh, well, how about the Civilization games? I mean, Civilization uh, in terms of Sid Meier's Civilization. I mean, those games are super popular. I enjoyed 5 and oh, 5 Expanded. And I like 6 enough, although I haven't played a Civilization game in ages just because of time. Um, but, you know, part of me wants to go back to maybe Civ 6. And, you know, I, I usually like to play the uh, most up-to-date ones, even, even if you could argue that maybe 5 Expanded was better than 6. I don't know, but... I like to just stick with the updated ones. But, you know, Civilization, I, I enjoy a good Civ game. I like Civ games. And New Dawn is a little bit more abstracted than the average, uh, like, Civilization game. Because, you know, unless you get the expansion, you don't actually do any exploring in it. Uh, the action row mechanic, I think, for me, stemmed from this one. This was the first time I ever saw that mechanic being used. And it's so good in this game. But... You know, you are doing stuff that is in the video game from this. I mean, Civ New Dawn is kind of based on Civilization V, I believe. And, you know, you've got the tech tree, you've got the, you know, the war, you've got the exploration, you've got stuff like that. And, it, you know, it's wonderfully represented to a point. But New Dawn is a little bit more abstracted. So, yes, it is technically a video game port, but, you know, not quite maybe as direct a port as something like, say, the original one. Well, not the not the, the the original one. Uh, what I'm getting at is, if I can find it, Civilization, Civilization. I need specifically Civilization from Fantasy Flight. Here we go. Sid Meier's Civilization, the board game, 2010. This one is still on my shelf. I just can't bear to sell it, even though I haven't played it in ages, because I know it's such a good, thematic, rich experience when you play it. But you know, this one is more based on kind of Civilization Four. And this one has, you know, the map tiles, you actually do proper exploring. Yes, the map looks a little bit disjointed, which is kind of half the problem I have. The map does look a bit weird. But it represents the four types of victory conditions really well. You can do coin, you can do tech, you can do warfare, you can do whatever the other one is. <laughs> I forget what the fourth one is. What do you get? You get warfare, you can do the technologies, go to space, you can do coin. What's the fourth? What's the fourth one that you do? Is it an economy-based one? I forget. But, you know, you know the four, the four victory conditions in there are represented nicely. So it is cool that you can choose a different path and you'll have a very different game with the different factions. It's just very complicated and pretty rules-intensive, hence I haven't got it out in ages. But it's still good fun and certainly a good representation of the video game. So... You know, this was my first introduction to a Sid Meier Civilization board game and really got into it. I mean, this could have been one of my first few introductions into a heavy board game, frankly, because I remember playing this quite early in my board gaming history and just sort of falling in love with it. And, you know, I certainly would love to get it out again and try it, you know, play it again. But yeah, it's a, 
It's a lot. It's a lot. But it's a good, fun experience when you do, if you don't mind it being a long game. But then I guess all games are long now. So, you know, maybe it's not such a big deal. I just need to relearn all the rules again. And I do have both expansions in it, which make it even better. So it's definitely worth getting... Well, you definitely want Wisdom and Warfare as a kickoff. It really does fix the combat in it. But if you can get both expansions for this when you buy it, it's definitely a good deal. But yeah, Sid Meier's Civilization has been represented in a lot of board games, and it's definitely one that fits a board game when you port it from a video game. The themes are there, and if you like the Civ games in the board game form, then you know you might think, well, why... And I suppose this is the one argument that I do here. It's like... If I'm playing a board game of a video game, why am I not just playing the video game itself? And it's like, yeah, that's true. But if you want the social interaction with other players and, you know, a, you know, kind of like, you can't always be on your PC playing a game. Sometimes you're out and about or sometimes you're with your friends. So you want to be able to play the game. These tabletop versions make a good alternative and it just keeps the game fresh in your mind. You know, you can always have too much of a good thing. Right, uh, let's see. Well, let's try another skirmishy game. Now, this one I didn't love two bits. The mechanics of it were decent. Um, I thought it was a bit too tricky. Well, no, I thought the difficulty scaling was ridiculous. Yeah, um, it, you started off the first couple of missions where you could literally steamroll everything, but then it suddenly ramped up ridiculous and got stupidly hard. Fantasy Flight is not too good with their difficulty scalings. But I... I I haven't played it in ages. I think I got to a point with the DLC and then kind of... I don't know if I got bored, but I just didn't feel like going through the punishment much more. Maybe I should load this up again and try and redo the campaign. But then my skill level would have dropped dramatically by now. So I'd be coming in as a complete noob. But man, were the Doom games fun. I mean, the old Doom games were fun. You know, I played all of those. But the recent Doom remake... Oh god, it's a fun game, but it is relentless. You have got to be on your A-game when you play it, especially with a DLC where the, where the fights are just damn near impossible. But I was keen to try this one because, you know, bringing that really nice artwork into the game and just having a cool skirmishy thing where you are just killing lots of the cool stuff like the big... I forget what they're called, but I mean, the Baron of Hell... God, I hate the Barons of Hell so much. Um... Pinkies, little pinkies, but I love the... I forget what they're called. They're just called demons or something. But the... Uh, I think they're just called demons. But, you know, the big the big ball things that fly around the place. I always love those. I, I love the design of those. But this is your typical skirmish game. I mean, you basically go through the, the missions and you blow up a lot of these things. And it is just good, fun skirmish stuff. Now, like I say, the difficulty curve is what kind of killed this game a bit. You know, it was just way too much. And it certainly did have a decent amount of rules to learn for what was a very simplistic premise, go in and shoot stuff. But the miniatures were cool, it was very thematic, and it definitely did a decent job of representing the theme and feel of Doom. I mean, you get cool weapons, you eviscerate everything in front of you, and, you know, it's claustrophobic, and you gotta work, and you gotta work together, even though in Doom you're on your own, and it's just... It was a solid game, just had a little bit of issues to make it not a keeper for me. But part of me sometimes gets tempted when I see this on Brin and Buys uh, for a cheap cost, and I'm like, it was a fun game, but yeah, if only the missions were done better. You know, I, you don't need a campaign in this game. You just need individual scenarios with balanced, you know, evil versus good things. Because that was the other thing. I think you could play, um, like, you played it solo and you could do this, but I think you could play it like evil versus, like, players. 
and it just felt like too skewed in one fashion. So it did have some issues, but yeah, I mean, Doom was a very, it's an underrated one, I think. You know, if you can get past some of those flaws, it's still an enjoyable experience and certainly, like you know, play it with some heavy metal music in the background and you'll certainly get that feeling from the game uh, as you play it, you know, especially with half of these big stuff around. I mean, the, the big boss thing, yeah, this is like, oh my God, it's huge. But yeah, there's some good stuff to be had here. XCOM. XCOM's a good uh, favorite of mine. Um, the XCOM PC games, I have played them all. Well, I say all. I've played the main ones. You know, one, uh, Enemy Unknown or whatever it was called. And then I've played XCOM 2 with the DLC for that one. And that's about it. I haven't played the weird spin-offs of XCOM. But XCOM, cool PC game. And I have to admit, when I saw it was getting a board game port, I was kind of like, hmm, how are you going to translate this one into a into a board game i mean well you could do it by the skirmish thing i think that's what a lot of people were expecting which is why this one didn't get as much uh, praise as uh, it should have done because people were wanting the mission skirmish thing they wanted the tabletop skirmish game of XCOM, and i'm actually kind of surprised one hasn't been done actually i'm you know that just feels like it's a a setup just waiting to be milked maybe it's because fantasy flight have got the license and they're just sitting on it or something i'm not sure but yeah, I feel like if the XCOM license is available, somebody should be doing it. Preferably not Steamforge games, but certainly somebody needs to take up the mantle and do that. But XCOM, the board game, I still really enjoy solo or with other players. It's a semi-timed game. You have two phases of it. You've got a timed phase where all the nasty stuff happens to you, like UFOs landing and aliens coming into your base and stuff. But then once you've done that and it's app-assisted, you can essentially then resolve everything else in turn without the timed element. But it's a good co-op experience. You're constantly discussing what you need to do. It's tense. It's down to the wire a lot of the times. Like, you're you're barely able to stay alive. Everybody's in panic. You know, your base is on its last legs, and you just go in for that last mission. It's like, yes, we can do it. And you can put the difficulty up to stupid levels with this, I admit. But the the look of the game, the theme, it basically takes the strategy element of XCOM into the board game so the stuff you do in between missions where you're like looking at the world map and inventing new techs and stuff that's what this game does and uh, you know i think it just does a really solid job of that and you know with this one people i think wanted the skirmish thing so bad that they didn't want this aspect and normally i don't like timed games but it works for me this one being timed it's just like it's cool solid the app makes all the noises and all the art and the like the music from the game so it really feels like you're immersed in that system and this one was just another hit for me it's just a shame that it wasn't quite the same for everybody else right now that my system has a <laughs> the plug in it the battery was starting to run out there uh i don't want to talk too much more i mean i'll mention a few others so frostpunk yeah, represents the theme beautifully with this one. I mean, I was so excited to get this game and play it, and I gave it a really solid review. I mean, when it comes to the computer game, this does such a good job of representing the theme and feel when you play it. I mean, it's a bit of a mammoth to get to the table, and it has a lot of rules and stuff, but... Oh man, this has created some of the most fun solo and even group experiences that I've had with a co-op game. It really just is that solid. Uh, it looks great with all the little miniature trees and stuff. And, you know, I'm glad I've got the official easy variants of the game so it's not stupidly punishing. But, oh yeah, this one, 
does a great job. And Frostpunk 2 I'm looking forward to when it comes out on the PC. I'll definitely have to grab that game and try it out. Um, Go through a few similar to that, this War of Mine. You know, really enjoy this one. You know, there's a bit of luck involved in it, but it's just got that same feel of like, I know feeling of depression sounds a little bit weird to talk about as a positive, but it's just, you know, the fact that you're struggling to stay alive. I think survival games make for good board games. The idea that you're surviving against the odds and you've got to survive until the end of the game, they make for good thematic experiences. And the story elements that you get from this, you know, the the setting and everything else you do, it's just so wonderfully immersive. And sadly, most of these pictures are just of the... Uh, you know, what people have done with their inserts and stuff, which I don't know about you. I really hate the fact that Board Game Geek gets littered with these. I'm not interested in your weird storage solution. I'm not interested in whether you've painted something. I want to see, like, the actual game represented. <laughs> I don't know if it's just me, but uh, maybe that's a better picture. No, that's not too bad, but, you know, the idea is that, you know, you're this war of mine, you're you're in a war-torn landscape, everything's going to pot, you've barely got any food, barely got any heat, and you've got to survive until the end of the game with different scenarios, with different settings. Uh, check out my video that I did for Days of the Siege, which I think is one of the best free-act campaigns I've ever played in the board game. It is so well done, such a good story, such rich theme. I mean, I would be tempted to play for it again. It was that good. Um, it just, you know, def- definitely check out on that. Now, I've been buzzing about a few of these video game licenses, but it's not all good. Uh, because you have ones like Fallout, which is a two to three hour luck fest. And I mean a luck fest in every way, shape, or form. I mean, let's face it, I'm not the biggest fan of the Fallout games in general. And the less said about Fallout 76, the better. But, you know, if anybody likes Fallout 76, I do worry about the human species in that regard. But this one, this one just dragged on for ages. I mean, maybe, I think there's a shorter variant. Or some other way you could do it, or you're meant to play it co-op, but playing this as a PvP just doesn't work. You just move around, stuff happens, the artwork's not even that good in it, you know, it looks very bland on the table. I mean, these photos are not showing off at all. I mean, look at all this horrible dark green and browns and stuff. It's like, yeah, I know the game doesn't exactly look that... Well, I don't know, actually the game looks more bright and colourful than this one does at times. This one just looks drab and ugly, but... Yeah, I mean, it was it was okay. It was kind of like a story experience, but you know, for the length of time it takes just to make it such a random luck fest, just kind of you know, not a lot of people go mad for this one. I know some people who like it, but I was just really like I bounced off this one hard. You know, and I've got no desire to go back to it. Uh, the Elder Scrolls Skyrim, I did that as a video review, I think earlier this year. I think it was either this year or last year, but. Yeah, this one turned out to be a disappointment as well. I played through a lot of Skyrim. I didn't, I'm not even sure I even completed the game, frankly. There was just so much of it, and then I eventually got bored playing it. But, you know, just wandering around and doing nothing. But this one was just such a disappointment. I mean, the theme could have been anything. It was barely a Skyrim game, apart from just using some of the similar imagery. And, you know, it was a sort of filing cabinet card game. The the looks were boring it was a drab looking thing the miniatures weren't even that interesting really uh the quests and stuff just didn't feel thematic at all and this one just felt like it was more coasting on the ip rather than trying to create a rich skyrim experience and if you do that your video game board game is going to get forgotten i mean who remembers the old uh witcher game that portal did 
you know, does anybody like that game? Because that one came and went so hard because it didn't respect the license enough. And if you don't respect the license when you do a video game port, you are doomed to fail. It's just going to happen. You've got to make your video game port rich, thematic, and give justice to the IP. That's why I love stuff like Deep Rock and, you know, the XCOM and Frostpunk and that so much, because they did respect the themes a lot. But Skyrim, ugh. That was just an average game. Check out my video on that one. And do I need to mention Steamforge games, who seem to take every IP out of video games that you can think of and then butcher them? Because I don't know that Steamforge games have actually made a good game. You know, Dark Souls, you grind in a board game. You grind and grind through all the small minions until eventually you can fight the boss. And the bosses look cool and it's not too bad, but the rules are a nightmare. It had problems with the Kickstarter. I mean, God, you name it, this game had problems. And I still struggle to realize why it's like... I mean, 3,000 is not a good rank to be in the board game top 10,000. But the fact that it's this high still beggars belief. But, you know, there were other ones that they did which were just not for it i mean what else did they do uh did they do you fear torment and resurrection is that a steam forge game i thought that was someone else all right well i didn't like you fear either so yeah you fear was there so that was drab and boring uh what else they did did they do one of the resident evils i know they did like horizon zero or they don't there yeah, they're doing a devil may cry or they have done a devil may cry has anybody mentioned this game <laughs> i don't think anybody's got it um Gods of uh, God Tier, don't know what that is. God Tier, God Tier, Guild Ball. I mean, these are games I've not even heard of, let alone... Right, but where's the ones that I know that they've done for video game stuff? Ah, here we go, yeah. Horizon Zero Dawn and Monster Hunter World. Not games that I hear a lot of positive thoughts about, where, you know, the Monster Hunter one in particular. But the Horizon Zero Dawn, the board game, I mean, ranked 5,000, so it clearly isn't as popular as you might think for something that came out in 2020. But this one I just remember having problems with not just like some of the rules and gameplay stuff, but also the fact that in the base, I mean, they, they require you to spend so much money on these games. The base set of this has one creature that you fight. It's either this, it's either Horizon Zero Dawn or it's uh, Monster Hunter. It's one of the two, but they come with like one monster to fight. That's it, in the base retail box. And then you have to buy all the add-ons in order to get the rest. That's just scalping people. And I do not agree with that kind of, you know, treatment at all. But, you know, these are, you know, popular video games like Dark Souls and Horizon Zero Dawn and Monster Hunter World and that. And this company just seems to not do... I mean, they respect the IP, I guess. But they really need somebody to come in and help them with the mechanic side of things. And then why don't we just finish off with the worst one of them all. Rank 25,000 in Board Game Geek, Jasco Games. They did the Street Fighter one, which was a mess. They've done various games, which were a mess. But none was as big a mess as Mega Man, the board game. Oh, my word. This one, you know, based on a popular video game. But this one was like, they know how to make their games look good with these cool miniatures for, you know, the Mega Man and all the enemies and stuff. So, yeah, there's a lot of good looks in this game. So they can make a game look good. They now need to find a way to design one because they just can't seem to design board games very well. And it's just so messy and horrible. And maybe it does justice to the theme, but it's just a complete mess nobody talks positive about this one this one bombed crazily and 
you know, as much as I say video game ports need to respect the license and do be thematically immersive, that doesn't mean you can ignore the gameplay mechanics. You've still got to get that bit right. We can forgive little foibles with that side of things, but we can't forgive if your game is a complete crap fest. It's like, you know, we have to be a little bit strict on types. So... Yeah, that's just like kind of some thoughts, you know, I like it when I hear about a video game port being brought over. I know I'm going to be spending more money because the IP costs a lot of money, but if it's a video game I like, I'm very keen to see the board game version of it. Will I always like it? Not always, but I mean, a lot of those I mentioned, like the first six or seven I mentioned in that little thing, I've all got in my collection. So they are stuff I do enjoy, and Deep Rock has been added to that list. So... If more video games want to get ported over, like um, Stellaris. Stellaris is still in production held with uh, Academy Games. Now, it's, I mean, by the time it comes out, I may have forgotten it even exists because the Kickstarter has dragged out so long. But Academy Games do good stuff with themes and, you know, they should be able to make it a good thematic experience. And I like Stellaris. Um, I don't play it that often. I mainly just played it because some mates of mine were playing it. You know, I tend to struggle on those sort of strategy games. But, you know, it was a decent enough experience and we did play quite a few hours of it. And so I was keen to see it in the board game version. Will it be good? I don't know. But again, I was excited to see, oh, okay, a game I've played and know of. Let's bring it into a board game and see what it's like. So they do get me excited, but they are hit and miss as to their uh, track record. So sometimes I get disappointed, sometimes I don't. But they do get that excitement level going, and maybe that's one of the things I'm missing with board games lately, the, the excitement of anticipating a new game. It's dwindled a lot for the board game industry as a whole because we're seeing a lot of rinse repeat, not much innovation, and, you know, same old Euro gamey stuff. When stuff like that comes out, that excitement level returns, and I do like that. It's infectious. So yeah, that's it for me on this episode. So thanks for tuning in. I hope everybody has a good Christmas and New Year. Obviously, check out the rest of the content on the show before Christmas. But uh, I will see you on the next Broken Evil podcast in 24, along with some more top 10s and the top 100. So uh, yeah, by all means, take care. Enjoy your holidays. Spend some time with the family. Enjoy your roast turkey or whatever it is, or vegan nut roast, whatever it is you eat at Christmas. And just take care. And remember, as always, it's only a game. So bye for now. Happy Christmas.